Well, good morning, church family. If this is your first Sunday here at uh, Windsor Road, just delighted uh, that you're here. Uh, My name is Randy. I'm uh, just so privileged to serve as the senior minister here at the church. And um, it's time for our scripture reading. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth. The Old Testament book of Ruth. I'm going to be reading chapter 3 today. Uh, We're in a series over the life of this amazing heroine, and you'll find Ruth chapter 3 on page 189 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, why, please take the navy blue uh, Bible there and put your name in it, and and please receive it as a gift from uh, this church family. I'm going to be reading Ruth chapter 3 in its entirety, page 189. beginning with verse 1. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then, and let's look at the footnote on this one, then she went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? 
Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is God's word. What's the riskiest thing you've done lately? The riskiest thing. Well, you think about that question and take a look at this picture. This is a portrait, this is a picture of risk. This is a picture of the graduates from the Nepal Bible College, our missionary, the Anglo to the right, um, uh, your right of the screen, Gary Barnes, uh, whom we support at the church, from the church, uh, has introduced us uh, to this amazing ministry that's going on in uh, the country of Nepal. Sundar and Sarita Tapa uh, have started literally since 1990 over 100 churches. Uh, uh, they started an orphanage, and here they started uh, years ago the Nepal Bible College. And um, these are just gospel-saturated students. This is the future. It's the present and the future of uh, Christian uh, leadership there in that country, which uh, uh, was a former Hindu kingdom, and uh, the Hindu culture still permeates their society. Back to the question that I asked you, what's the riskiest thing you've done? This is the riskiest thing that they're are doing and will ever do uh, because these students are going to be going out and planting churches. They're going to be uh, uh, leading and disciple making and every one of these students, every one of these graduates have been disowned by their families, every one of them. These students are dead to their parents. Absolutely no support. They've been cast out. And if you've been reading the news lately in Nepal, there's no legal governing authority in Nepal right now. There's no legal government in Nepal right now. I mean, think about that for a minute. So, like, who's in charge? Good question. Uh, I'll tell you who's in charge. The one who has the authority to tell someone else to pull the trigger on the gun. That's who's in charge. These students have no family support. They have no support from their government. Well, who, who can support? The gospel supports them. They're leaning right now on the Son of God and the people of God. That's what's going on right now. The riskiest thing. What's the riskiest thing you've done of late? Our scripture verses this morning are about that very question. It's about godly people Taking godly risks for the sake of others. That's what these students are doing. Godly students taking godly risks for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God, for the sake of others. Sharing the most precious treasure in the universe with people who are desperate to hear it. And our verses deal with godly risk taking. Righteous 
risk-taking today. I'm not talking about unrighteous risk-taking. I'm not talking about the kind of risk-taking that would lead us to violate uh, one of God's commandments. And I'm not talking about the kind of risk-taking that would lead us to uh, put God to the test, to try to concoct a situation where we expect God to meet our expectation if we're going to believe him or trust in him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about godly people taking godly risks for the sake of others. That's what's going on here. That's what I want you to see in Ruth chapter 3. By the time we get to one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, in 3 verse 1, there's been a dramatic reversal of circumstances for Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Dramatic difference than, say, the first five verses of Ruth 1, where Elimelech Naomi's husband and their two sons, Killian and Malan, had to leave Bethlehem because of a famine to go to Moab, a country that was on hostile terms with Israel. And then when they get over to Moab, uh, Elimelech just suddenly dies. And the two sons marry outside the faith. They marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then Killian and Malan die after 10 years of infertility. And now we have Naomi, we have Orpah, we have Ruth. And Naomi begs these two ladies to go back to their families in Moab and and find a new life. Orpah with tears goes. Ruth stays. She converts. She becomes a worshiper of the one true God and renounces her allegiance to Chemosh. She, She becomes, for all practical purposes, an Israelite. And they return to Bethlehem. Naomi is absolutely spent. She says, I'm empty. God has made my life bitter. And they return And it happens to be the harvest season there in Bethlehem. And Naomi just, she's just under the throes of depression. She just can't get out. Ruth takes initiative. And she happens upon a field. And on that field, there happens to be a landowner whose name is Boaz. Happens because, well, it's not by luck The invisible hand of God is operating in ways that go far beyond anything these ladies will ever figure out. And, and, And Boaz finds out who Ruth is before Ruth knows who he is. And he's a man of standing, a man of character, and he takes care of her. And she brings home 15 times as much food. By the end of chapter 2, and Naomi is like resuscitated. She like comes back from the dead. Ruth says, "Uh, he told me to stay in the field. He told me not to leave. He told me to to follow along with the other servant girls. Naomi says, you better. And verse 2 ends with, she's living with her mother-in-law, gleaning barley and wheat throughout the harvest. And, And about six weeks later, One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, so there's about six weeks difference between chapter two and chapter three. Naomi says to Ruth, sweetheart, I'm not gonna live forever. You know that, I know that. Um, I wanna make sure that you have a future. I wanna make sure that you have a family. I want you to find a husband. And I know who that husband might be. 
Boaz would be an excellent candidate. He'd be a great husband for you. And so I've been thinking about a plan. And so here's the plan. Here's the plan. Number one, sweetheart, take a bath. Okay? That's what it says, isn't it? a good idea. You smell like barley, take a bath. Put on some perfume. Put on your best clothes. I don't want, we're, we're not going to chase after. You don't chase after. You don't chase, you don't chase after a man. But, but you can get in his way. That's what we want you to do. We want you to get in his way. All right? So wash, perfume, put on your best clothes, and then I want you to head down to the threshing floor, and that's where Boaz is going to be tonight. And then, and then, Naomi proceeds to tell her the rest of the plan. And Ruth listens, and when she's done listening, she kind of gulps and says, okay, I'll do this. All right, okay. And the lights go out with scene number one. Well, the next scene is, is Boaz. And he's there at the threshing floor. You know what a threshing floor is, don't you? A threshing floor is where threshing happens. Right? Threshing. What's that? Well, you know, in our technology, it it happens on those big green machines or those big red machines. That's what happens. But back then, they had a threshing floor, and they would take the stalks from the grain, the barley, the wheat, and then they would get on a threshing sled, and let's see another picture, and they would begin spreading out these stalks, and it, it would typically happen in a circular pattern, and, and they would begin uh, uh, crushing the stalks. They want to get the grain out of the stalks, and, and, and so they would begin going in circular patterns. The threshing floor was huge, so there would be more than just one landowner there. It was kind of a huge commons area, and then after the, the, the stalks and the grain were threshed, then there would be the winnowing, where they would take these rakes and throw the, the stalks and the grain and the chaff there up in the air and the threshing floor always was located in a place where there was a constant breeze so that the chaff would blow away and the heavier grain would fall and it was back-breaking work but that's how they gathered and harvested the grain and so Boaz was there along with the other landowners they're eating they're drinking they're celebrating they're bragging I got this much more grain than you did hasn't God been good and they're uh, just enjoying some camaraderie together there and then after their their after their stomachs are full and their muscles have been tired for the day it's time to bed down by your portion of grain because you want to guard it and so Boaz kind of gets himself settled and, 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 and he puts the blanket over himself and he leans back and he's looking at the beautiful Bethlehem night skies before there was all this light pollution going on in our world and he's just uh, have full stomach and a great life and the next thing you know... <sighs> Ah, 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 ah,
deep rim in Bethlehem. Boaz. It's what the Hebrew says. Trust me. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the reader is like plunged into this event. It's like we're transported. Verse 8. Boaz is no longer called Boaz. Boaz is called the man. Ruth is no longer called Ruth. She's called the woman. And there's this shadowy, mysterious, ongoing, it's kind of a, 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 a really stealthy type scene that's happening. Oh, what was that? There's this silhouette of this pleasantly scented woman that's scooting across the threshing floor as she locates the place where the man is sleeping. And very slowly and very carefully, she takes the blanket that's covering him, covering his feet, and she begins to pull it back so that his bare feet are exposed. How far did she how far did she pull the blanket up? Wow, that's the mysterious part of it. This is highly unusual, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Should we be talking about this in this type of a setting? Well, it's in the Bible. Let's, let's. And <laughs> the feet are exposed and, 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 and it's very sensuous environment and now all of a sudden she lies down and waits. And about the middle of the night, well, you know what happens when your bare feet get exposed. Huh? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Did I kick the blanket off again? Isn't this restless leg thing is just driving me crazy? It's just, he's re- so Boaz's hand reaches down and he's reaching for the blanket and instead, there's a head. There's a head. And the Hebrew goes, ah! It was startled. Who, who, who are you? Who are you? Verse 9. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. And then she said this. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Spread the corner of your garment. Literally, spread your wings. Spread your what? Because he's a who? Spread the corner of your garment over me. Spread your wings over me, she says. What's that mean? Well, write down Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Ezekiel 16, verse 8 has that very phrase in reference to God and his people Israel. And Ezekiel 16, 8 says... God is speaking to his people Israel. When you were old enough for love, 
I put my garment over you, or I spread my wings over you to cover your nakedness. I made a covenant with you. A covenant of what? A covenant of marriage. We're talking about a covenant vow of marriage here. To spread, to say I want to spread my garment over you is a proposal for marriage. But Boaz isn't the one who's saying I want to spread my garment over you. Ruth is the one requesting it. Meaning she is the one who is proposing to him that he ask her to marry him. It's a proposal to propose. Could you do that back then? Evidently. Well, wasn't this risky? Absolutely. Couldn't he have said no? Yes. Why would she do this here? Under these circumstances, well, think about it for a minute. This is, this, this is a big ask, right? I mean, what's she going to do? Do it in the middle of a barley harvest? Is that it? Or, or, or uh, 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 she surely is not going to do it. You know, she's not going to make this kind of proposal while he's with all of the other landowner friends eating and drinking. I mean, Naomi said, didn't tell him to do it. Naomi made it quite clear. Wait till after he's done eating and drinking. Don't go, don't, don't, whatever you do, sweetheart. Don't march up to him while he's with the other landowners and say something like, seven weeks ago when you gave me some water and you gave me some grain, you talked to me and I haven't heard anything from you for seven weeks and I just want to know where this relationship is going don't do that okay just be cool be calm approach him here you got to go to a place that's private but not too private and a place that's public but not too public and this was the time and this was the place she had to be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove And then she says this, since you are a kinsman redeemer, what is that? A kinsman redeemer. Well, this takes us into um, a law that is found in the Old Testament that is a social safety net. And it's something like this. It's called the leveret duty. The leveret duty. Lever. Uh, which means husband's brother. So, let's say that my brother died and he had no male heir. According to the leveret duty, it would, I would be expected to marry his widow, my sister-in-law. And the first male heir to come from that union that male heir would then become the legal heir of all of my brother's property so that the property would stay in the family name, which was crucial in Israelite culture, and so that his name would not die out, which was crucial in Israelite culture. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. If brothers are living together, And one of them dies without a son. His widow must not marry outside the family. 
her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So to refuse this was a huge cultural offense, as we see. Verse 7, however, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This, uh, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. Good day, sir. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Don't let that happen to you. you imagine this? His family walking around, everybody with one sandal on. Ooh, loser. We know, huh? Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating. And that's what's behind, that's what's behind Ruth's declaration to Boaz, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10. That's what she's saying. Here's the deal. Boaz says to her, appreciate all this, but I'm not the closest kinsman redeemer. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. But here's the deal. Here's the deal, Ruth. We're going to figure this out, all right? Um, first of all, stay here. Stay here the, the, the rest of the night, verse 13. In verse 13, that word stay here is literally the word lodge here. And that's a very intentional word because, because Boaz is saying uh, there's not going to be any mischief, Okay? We're going to do the right things the right way. And tomorrow, I'm going to get the nearest kinsman redeemer. And that, person's, that person is first in line. And then if they refuse, then I promise I will. I, as the Lord lives, I will do this. So I don't want you going back. Don't, don't want you going back in the middle of the night because that's dangerous for someone like you. And I want you to stay here. Stay safe. Be secure. And then in the morning, before it's too light outside, then it, it'll be, I want you to go back so that no one knows that you were here. Okay? Oh, and by the way, here, I want you to take all of this grain for Naomi. I want you to take all of this grain for your mother-in-law. Six measures of barley. And I've read that that was in between somewhere in between 40 to 80 pounds of barley oh my goodness how did she do that probably crossfit is how she did that i don't know but uh she gets back 
And Naomi says, how'd it go? And Naomi told her, Naomi asked, how did it went? And Ruth told her everything. And, you know, Naomi just kind of smiled and said, okay, okay, we're good. Boaz is going to take care of it. Boaz will figure this out. He's a man of standing. He can land the plane. He'll figure this out, okay? You know, men like to figure things out. He'll figure this out. And if he can't figure it out, you don't want to marry him. Who wants to marry a guy who can't figure anything out? Just, just wait. The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And the chapter ends. And Ruth exits her own story. We don't hear Ruth speak at any other time. She's finished. She just disappears in the story here as we wait what happens next, next week in chapter four. What's the point? What's the point of all this? Nice story. That's great. What's it about? Remember what I said earlier? Remember the picture? Remember the students? Remember what I said about Ruth? Remember what I said about Naomi? This is about godly people taking godly risks. Godly people taking godly risks for the sake of others. And this is yet another dimension of this wonderful Hebrew word, hesed. We've we've studied hesed and and we've seen definitions like uh, unfailing loyalty. We've seen definitions like uh, steadfast love, loving kindness, mercy, grace. What dimension do we see of hesed today? We see this from chapter 3. Hesed happens when godly people take godly risks for the sake of others. And that's exactly what's going on in Ruth's life right now. Ruth was a godly woman who took a godly risk not for her own sake but for the sake of Naomi. You see when Ruth appears on the threshing floor remember what she told Boaz? She she told Boaz that he had the ability to answer the prayer that he prayed for her in Ruth chapter 2 verse 12. Boaz had said to Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 verse 12 may you be richly rewarded by the Lord under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then Ruth comes to Boaz and says, I want to take refuge under your wings. In other words, Ruth is saying, Boaz, you have the ability to answer the prayer that you prayed for me so that we can take care of Naomi. In fact, she pushes him toward that. She pushes him toward Hesed. She says, you are a kinsman redeemer. Naomi never told Ruth to tell him that. She goes off script. She pushes the envelope. She says, you look, you have a relative whose life can be dramatically transformed if you will just step up and take responsibility. You have the opportunity to take responsibility. As she presses for said, she pushes him to take the risk himself. I find this chapter rather ironic. Naomi told Ruth to go uncover the feet of Boaz and then Boaz would tell her what to do. In fact, Ruth was the one who tells Boaz what to do. Here you have this strong, godly woman who makes a godly risk in order to make a godly man more godly. 
a strong man stronger by challenging him to be the man of standing he already is. And what she did was extremely risky. I mean, her, tension, her intentions could have easily been misunderstood. Easily. Think about it. She was a servant. He was a boss. She was a Moabite. He was an Israelite. She was poor. He was wealthy. He was at the threshing floor. She shows up at the threshing floor. What's the big deal about that? The threshing floor was typically a place for men. Just the way it was in that patriarchal culture. But at night, the threshing floor according to Hosea chapter 9, verse 1, often became a place of prostitution. And Boaz could have shamed her, exposed her, and humiliated her as, uh, you know, trying to be a gold digger. Ruth, this godly woman who takes a godly risk on behalf of Naomi, on behalf of Naomi. Verse 16, she gets back. And remember the question Naomi asked? How did it go? How did it go, my daughter? Literally, literally, the Hebrew is, who are you? Who are you? Isn't that the question that Boaz asked? And that's what we're learning about this amazing woman. Who is she? Is, is, who is this underestimated outsider? Is she just, a, is she just another immigrant? Or... Is she more than Naomi could ever have dreamed? Is she? Is she this amazing woman who will provide Naomi with an heir who in the genealogies of Israel will come the Messiah, the Christ of God? And here she's willing She's willing to risk being misunderstood. She's willing to risk embarrassment. And she's willing to risk her reputation for the sake of Naomi. That's, here's who she is. Boaz says it. You are a Hesed woman. This Hesed is greater. You could have gone after younger men. You didn't. You went after someone like me. You didn't marry for passion. And you didn't marry for money. You would marry for the sole purpose of ensuring Naomi's future and the future of the family line. Hey, you know, we don't know what to do with that, do we? We don't. We don't know what to do with that. We, we, you know, we know enough to say, well, okay, you shouldn't marry for, you shouldn't marry for money. Okay, okay, okay. But then, to, but to marry, you know, to, to, to not marry, I, I, you know, of course, we, we make movies telling people, marry for love. I love this person. Well, then marry him. But we fail to ask the question, is that person worthy of our love? See? And what we find out here in these verses is that these two are spiritually synchronized. They're both committed to family. They're both committed to hesed. They're both committed to the, that the bigger is more important than their individual passions or desires. They're equally yoked. And then on that basis, later, their romance and their love grow. What, what amazing people who make godly risks for the sake of others. Wow. I want that. I want that. <clears throat> so back to the question that I asked at the very beginning. What have you been risking lately? What is it? What's the riskiest thing? 
Huh? People put up with all kinds of discomforts and costs. They climb mountains. They cross oceans. They run marathons. They put themselves through all sorts of pain and discomforts for all kinds of reasons. What are we willing to risk for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others? What is that? Now, we're not in Nepal, are we? Thank God. But we're here in this part of the world that God has put us. Now, what conversation do you need to have with someone that's going to require you to be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove? What is that? What is that? Hmm? Let me tell you something that's... uh, going to involve all of us as a church family. This past week, um, I got a call from Robbie Gwynn, who uh, is uh, director of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes in this area. And uh, Robbie uh, said that our new football coach uh, is wanting and is asking churches in our community if they would be willing to prepare and serve dinner uh, for the players uh, as a way of uh, just introducing the church community to them and um, letting them know that there's a spiritual community. Now, that's not a risk. You know what I call that? That's an opportunity. That's that's not a risk. That's like lobbing up a softball. (laughs) And so our turn will be June the 14th. We'll be preparing and serving dinner, um, preparing it and then bringing it over uh, to the varsity room uh, on campus and introducing Windsor Road uh, to the football players. And um, Brian Rummery, our adult ministries pastor, is kind of project managing this. If you have questions or you're interested, uh, go to Brian, talk to him, let him know. Wow, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. You see an opportunity, you seize the opportunity to make a difference. Um, I'm thinking about our Celebrate Recovery ministry. This fall, a major motion picture is coming uh, to our community called Home Run. And it is a movie about, it's a gospel-centered movie that is about recovery. And uh, so we're going to take a risk. Risk, uh, it's going to open somewhere around the World Series. Uh, we're going to take a risk. We want to uh, make a thousand, we want to, we want to have a thousand tickets purchased uh, so that people might hear the gospel in a cinema. What an opportunity. What an, in just a, a few moments before the service concludes, we're going to be praying over our Ethiopia missions team. What an opportunity as they are taking uh, godly people, taking godly risks for the sake of others. I could go on and on, but that's what we're being called to do here. One of my concerns about a church our size is that we would slip and God forbid that it would happen, that we would slip into a sort of institutional maintenance where we just kind of glide and come and sit and enjoy the music and then leave and go home. And really, we, we're not, we need to stay missional. 
We need to realize that God has given us an opportunity at this time and this place to make a difference, to take holy risks, righteous risks, so that others might enjoy Jesus as we enjoy him. We need to be like Ruth, Ruth who took a righteous risk in going to Moab and asking him to be her redeemer. In a way, we are like Ruth, aren't we? Because we come to Jesus, our glorious Boaz, and we ask him, will you be my redeemer? And then you know what happens? We disappear underneath his wing, and he does all the work. That's what happens in Ruth's story. She asks Boaz if he'll be her redeemer, and then she disappears from the story. And we do the same for Jesus. He does all the work, paying not with money, but with his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, brings us, brings us into the robes of his righteousness. And in him, we find what Ruth found in Boaz. Rest. Anybody here looking for rest? Heavenly Father, our hearts are indeed restless until they find rest in Thee. Father, I'm standing here because someone took a risk. Someone took a risk and challenged me. And we're all here because Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised. And so we come to this communion table now so very humble and so very grateful and so very full. You have filled us and we thank you. Oh God, give us the faith to take godly risks for the sake of others, for the sake of your son, for the sake of the gospel. In his name we pray, amen.